Mr. Chief Justice, the police of the court. I've been trying to make sense out of what you're saying. Well, and I've been trying to make sense out of this court's precedents, and the best that I can do. This is Life of the Law. I'm Josiah Jenkins. And I'm here to tell you about the worst joke ever told. It wasn't told by a comedian. It wasn't told in a comedy club. And it wasn't shown on TV. The worst joke ever told was told by a lawyer on December 13th, 1971. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the court. It's an old joke, but when a man argues against two beautiful ladies like this, they're going to have the last word. That was Jay Floyd, an attorney for the state of Texas, opening an argument in front of the United States Supreme Court. He was arguing against a plaintiff whose real name was Norma McCorby, although she was given a different name by the court, and her attorney, Sarah Waddington. Those were the two beautiful ladies you heard about in the joke. They were all at the Supreme Court to argue whether there was a fundamental right to abortion in the United States. If you haven't guessed by now, the name the court gave Norma McCorvey was Jane Roe. And, as they say, the rest of Roe v. Wade is history. Thank you, Mrs. Weddington. Thank you, uh, Mr. Floyd. The case is submitted. But why did Jay Floyd decide to make history this way? Working in Texas, and specifically uh, within Dallas and the Eastern District of Texas, it is not uncommon for Texas attorneys to use humor in their statements to jurors. Ryan Melfers is an expert on the high court and the author of the book titled Rhetoric and Discourse in Supreme Court Oral Arguments. It's also not unusual for attorneys to come to the Supreme Court and bring their same style of argument that they've developed over years and years of experience. Indeed. When we think about attorneys, it's easy to imagine Richard Gere in the musical Chicago. Tell me, Miss Kelly, can you make a deal with it? Using his charm to delight the jury. Amos accused me of having an affair, so I told him that the charge was erroneous. Objection, Your Honor. Mr. Flynn is twisting this evidence to draw conclusions that are specious and... Uh, erroneous? Exactly. <laughs> but there's a big difference between humor in front of a jury and humor at the Supreme Court. Well, I think that there's a classic form for a speech where you open a speech with a joke. I think that's a disaster in an oral argument. I can't imagine why you would want to do that. That's Linda Coberly. She's a former clerk for Justice Breyer and vice chair of the appellate division at the law firm Winston & Strawn. If you're an advocate, you want to open your presentation with the reason why you're going to win the case. If the first thing that comes out of your mouth is a joke, I think you've really wasted an opportunity. The courtroom is actually laid out very much like a church sanctuary. Legal scholar Ryan Melfers has spent a lot of time in that Supreme Court sanctuary. It has pews, it has chancel railings, it has areas that the lay public are not allowed to go. And these formal spaces share another thing in common. They're both places where Latin phrases are more common than jokes. But that doesn't keep lawyers from trying to make jokes anyway. Take, for example, United States versus Stevens, a case about whether the First Amendment protects so-called crush videos, 
Now, the less you know about crush videos, the better for your life as a human being. Suffice to say, they're depictions of animal cruelty. Ryan Melfers was in the courtroom at the time. To understand what happened, you should know that Justice Antonin Scalia hates it when advocates talk about legislative history. In this situation, the advocate was mentioning legislative history and turned directly to Justice Scalia and remarked, Congress itself said in the legislative history, which I know will not be of relevance to you, but made to others on the court, uh, they explicitly exempted. The recording doesn't really pick it up. There were gasps and, and loud laughter that echoed through the court at the time, and you noticed immediately Justice Scalia jump up from his chair almost and lean forward. To put it mildly, the lawyer messed with the wrong guy. The first five minutes had been controlled by the attorney, but the remaining 25 minutes were Scalia's. He completely dominated that advocate's oral argument and prevented him from being able to articulate a clear and cohesive argument to the rest of the court. With one joke, this advocate woke a sleeping dragon. And he would go on to lose his case, and by a lot. In the end, he had eight justices against him, and only one on his side. Surprisingly, though, some advocates are able to use humor and use it well at the Supreme Court. If you ask court watchers to name the best lawyer working today, you'd expect to hear Paul Clement's name come up a lot. In some of the court's recent big cases, the Affordable Care Act, the Arizona Immigration Law, and others, he argued one of the sides. And within the legal field, Clement isn't just one of the best advocates, he's one of the funniest. Here's Clement bringing the house down in a case from 2007. When do you think the bad old days ended? They... Patterson was 1989. I don't think anybody thinks Patterson was the oh, bad old days. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm day. thinking of Sullivan. The bad old days ended when you got on the court, yeah. Mr. Justice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe you're not rolling on the floor. But there's a bigger point here. Here's how Clement himself breaks down one of his biggest laugh lines from a 2007 case called Hein versus Freedom from Religion Foundation. Vocabulary primer, colloquy is just a formal term for a conversation. In this case, between Paul Clement and the justices on the court. This colloquy, if I remember it right, comes after Justice Scalia has been beating me up over the distinctions that we had drawn in our brief. But of course, we hadn't made these distinctions up on our own. These are the distinctions that the court had drawn in its own Establishment Clause case. And so after having gotten beat up, basically trying to defend the court's precedents, Justice Alito gave me what is you know, probably one of the friendlier questions I've ever gotten at the court. Are you arguing that these lines that you're drawing make a lot of sense in an abstract sense, or are you just arguing that this is the best that can be done within the body of precedent that the court has handed down in this area? The latter, Justice Alito, and I appreciate, <laughs> I, I appreciate the question. Why didn't you say so? I, I've been trying to make sense out of what you're saying. Well, and I've been trying to make sense out of this court's precedents, and the best that I can do. The best that All right, so the joke clearly hit its mark. But is it useful? You know, in a sense... Uh, that answer to, uh, to of Justice Alito's question was actually a little bit disarming with respect to Justice Scalia and the, the line of questions he was pursuing. So this isn't hilarious. It's dense banter. But an attorney's skill at this high wire act can make all the difference. And one of the things you really see when he argues is a very conversational style. It's a delicate balance because you don't want to be too conversational in the sense of losing the respect for the judges. And I think Paul walks that line very, very well. 
Linda Coberly spent a term with the justices, and she thinks they do appreciate a little levity now and then. They like nothing better than, than a good joke. Now, they're very, very serious about the work they're doing, but as colleagues, they're very comfortable with one another and see a, a place for humor. Ryan Melfers compares oral argument to going over to uh, your partner's house for the first time. You're meeting their family and you're sitting down to a large dinner and there's nine to 12 people in front of you and they begin asking questions. But as with your in-laws, you might want to do your homework before trying to be even the slightest bit funny. And even then, you probably still shouldn't risk it. Which brings us back to the opening joke from Roe v. Wade. I first learned about the joke in an undergrad class when my professor mentioned it one day in passing, but I keep thinking about it. Let's hear it again. It's an old joke, but when a man argues against two beautiful ladies like this, they're going to have the last word. I, before I proceed to the original issue... Do you notice that? Jay Floyd paused for nearly three seconds waiting for laughter and he was greeted with silence. Three seconds with more than 40 years of ramifications. In this situation, which I really think is one of the biggest legal flops of all time, I think Jay Floyd thought that he had a dead ringer of a joke that he could trot into the justices. Since first hearing about this clip a decade ago, I've become a lawyer and an improv comedian. Through all that, I've had this joke in the back of my mind. To me, the most amazing thing is not just how bad the joke was, but how bad it was for the setting. Arguing in 1971, in the midst of a cultural revolution, Jay Floyd should have done everything he could to downplay abortion as a women's rights issue. Instead, he highlighted gender roles, and in all the wrong ways. Roe v. Wade would actually be argued a second time, and that time Jay Floyd wouldn't get to represent the state. Jane Roe's lawyer had been too unfocused on the first argument, but she came ready on the second trip and found an argument that would persuade the court. In essence, with his cornpone humor, Jay Floyd ruined the state's best opportunity for a knockout blow. Maybe he should have read Section 3 of the Supreme Court's Guide for Counsel. One of the pieces of advice in there? Attempts at humor usually fall flat. For Life of the Law, I'm Josiah Jenkins in Chicago. This episode of Life of the Law was produced by Julia Barton, Shannon Heffernan, Nancy Mullane, and Caitlin Prest. Our web editor is Mary Adkins. Financial support comes from the Open Society Foundations, with special thanks to Thomas Hilbink. For more on this story and other stories about the law and the legal system, visit our website, lifeofthelaw.org.
Hi, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair. And we are the Mashup Americans. The Mashup Americans. <laughs> uh, think of us as your guide to the hyphen America world we live in. Are you first generation Korean American, married to a Colombian Mexican American, and making beige babies? Us too. Or do you speak three languages and eat Salvadoran pupusas at Shabbat? Is Spanglish your best language? That's me. <laughs> uh, Spanglish is definitely your best language. Yeah, it was kind of a problem in graduate school. <laughs> eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're done with that. So we've got a new show here on the awesome Infinite Guest Network. You can go search for Mashup Americans in your favorite podcast app and check it out. We've got a great story about the mashup life of Donald Trump. Oh, and I just went to Margaret Cho's house to Netflix and chill. Kind of. <laughs> oh, my God. Vamos, let's do this. As we like to say, get to know yourself, America.